My dad left his Bible there. It might be a hint. I should preach from that passage instead of this one. <laughs> Can you believe I got to be raised by that guy? Amazing. Amazing. So good. So good. Just so good. Would you focus your attention on Daniel 10 with me and we'll read the first uh, 12 verses. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was, was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat wine, or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the, of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold um, from Uphaz was around his waist. His body was like burl and his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance uh, was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you illuminate these words in our hearts? Lord, illuminate them in our minds that we might have understanding, but Lord, what would understanding do if it didn't change the way we act? So would you illuminate this also in our hearts, in our hands, in our feet? Lord, would you teach us this passage? And Lord, would you speak to us, each of us, this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll wrap up the book of Daniel today. So Daniel 10, 11, and 12 will kind of treat as one thing and it, you either have to kind of treat Daniel 10, 11, and 12 in one, as one thing, or you have to say, until 2026, we will be in Daniel 10, 11, and 12. You either dig into every little detail, or you take a 30,000-foot view, and you say, what are the big ideas that we're supposed to learn? And we'll take that approach as we conclude um, you know, our time in Daniel, which I will miss. I've enjoyed a great deal. And really, these three chapters extend the visions in the second half of Daniel. There's a lot that are familiar about it. In fact, if we were to read all three of these chapters, we would say, man, incredible detail without any names and places. 
a lot of detail, but also a lot of just pronouns. He and they and she, and then they came together, and there was a mountain, and there was a valley, and then, a, then it all happened. And you go, wow, that is a lot of detail, but without a lot of detail, as apocalyptic literature frequently is. And so while there's a time and a place to go through every one of those details, and it's interesting, and we'll hit a few of them, I would like to use this as an opportunity to kind of reflect on some of the big things, the big themes in Daniel. A couple of the things that we've been revisiting over and over are going to be prominent again in today's passage. But I would also like to say, you know, there's the what's going to happen which is easy to get caught up in in the second half of Daniel, and we've spent some time there. But along with what's going to happen or what has happened, there's this other kind of theme in these three chapters that are maybe even more important, and that is along with what's going to happen is how am I supposed to be in the middle of this kind of times of war and confusion. Whether this is all for the ancient past or whether it's some for the ancient past and some for today or, or maybe some for the ancient past, some for today and some for a time in the distant future, the question still remains, I have to wake up tomorrow, interact with people and decide what kind of a person am I going to be? And We'll spend, I'll, I'll take a, a minute to get there, but we'll spend most of our time together thinking about just that in Daniel's life. Because while there is a lot of expository, apocalyptic storytelling about kings and battles and coastlands and all of this stuff, there is also a smattering sporadically in these passages of these beautiful instructions to Daniel of what kind of man he should be in the middle of the, the time he's in and time future. So first we, uh, this is a, a totally dorky way to say this, but, but the first part of this passage is really, or, or the first kind of set of themes that we've been looking at through Daniel and that really get enforced in these three chapters is about the nature of reality. Like it's really easy to look outside and go, well, what is it that influences the world? And you might go, well, there's money and there's politicians and there's corporations and there's my dumb neighbor who keeps that light on and it goes right into my window. And those, those are the things that are happening in my world. And the book of Daniel has really been instructive to say, actually, as this apocalypse is told to us, as the curtain is pulled back, we learn, actually, there is a lot more going on than you and I can see. And this is, again, part of the message, even very early, from this man with the glowing face like lightning, clothed in linen in chapter 10. Daniel has been on a 21-day fast. How'd you guys feel about that? Didn't bathe, eat, drink any wine, eat any delicacies. I mean, he was fasting for, I mean, by himself in a cave. He was really seeking God's face. And it's at this point that as he's hurting and praying for his people, that he is engaged once again by the reality of the spiritual realm that is all around him. Now, who this man is, is that would be week one through three if we were going to have this be a, a multi-year series. Many have said, man, this sure looks like the picture of Jesus in Revelation. I think this is the pre-existent Christ here in, in Daniel chapter 10. 
Others would point to, to some distinctions, like this man says, man, I tried to get here, but I was, I was caught up. I, I had to have Michael come and help me get here. And some people thought, that doesn't sound much like the Jesus I know. And I, I, I don't have a strong opinion on that because the, what is true is this is a person who's representing God the Father and speaking this truth and revealing what's actually happening in the world to Daniel. So if it is not the pre-existent Christ, it is someone under his care and moving with his power. And the message he brings is really about the nature of reality, about how spiritual battle and human activity are entwined in a way that I don't fully understand, but that we are told plenty about. And so just a few things as we get going that you and I might reflect on as we think about the intertwining of our decision-making, of the powers of earth. And you know, when I say the powers of earth, we tend to think of only other people, but you get 24 hours today. And you get to burn a certain amount of calories today. And you're a volitional creature. You have will today. You're making choices. You are impacting all kinds of things. Every interaction with another human is an, is an opportunity for you to um, make the world better or worse. And so while it's easy to think about the powers of Earth being, you know, like in Washington, London, Moscow, somewhere, like we might think about the powers of Earth at 10.30 Hillby this morning and about at my house day in and day out. So... There's a few things that, that, that we know as this man dressed in linen talks to Daniel. First of all, that God is good and is opposed by the forces of evil in heavenly places. And we have to have both those. God is good and there is opposition in the heavenly places. We are taught that God is omnipotent very early. If you took like, you know, a Theology 101, you would learn that God is omnipotent and God is omnipresent and that, that God never changes and, and that he can be everywhere at once, right? Like you learn these fundamental things about God. And so the idea of God being opposed can seem ridiculous. God not getting his way? In fact, sometimes I'm like enjoy saying things from the pulpit like look the battle between god and satan is not an even fight this is not like two heavyweights duking it out over 12 rounds this is an absolute victorious battle that god is is victorious 1000 million percent of the time and yet we also have to understand that between here and the things to come that there is very real opposition in the spiritual realm. We would be foolish, as C.S. Lewis reminds us, to see demons behind every bush. We would also be foolish to ignore that there are forces of darkness in the heavenly places. So Daniel is getting a picture of this. God is good. And, and that's so because we think so much about the power of God, that God might be opposed in the heavenly places. It seems sort of off-putting. It seems like uh, unnatural to think about. But actually, it makes perfect sense with the rest of Scripture. God is good, and God created a good world. Yet, those early stories of Genesis teach us that while God created a world that was good, that was tov, that worked well, 
It wasn't just the snake in the garden. It wasn't just that there was an adversary there. No, rather, the problem was the free will of man. That in God's world that He created and designed to be totally functional and good, we have free choices to make. And very early, humanity chose to rebel over and over and over again. We see stories of selfishness. We see stories of violence. We see stories of greed. And eventually, we have the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, thematically, if not geographically, tied to Babylon where Daniel is. And you remember some of the stories in, in, about uh, the Tower of Babel. You remember it on the, on the flannel graph from childhood if you went to Sunday school that men built a tower and they tried to get to God and so God confused their language and scattered them uh, over the whole earth. But when Deuteronomy tells that story, Deuteronomy, the second telling, as Moses tells that story in Deuteronomy, we hear this. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32, it says, While the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is His people, Jacob, His allotted heritage. So the biblical understanding of how these things worked after Babel is that God not only scattered people, but that each of those groups of people were set under the rebellious sons of God. That judgment will not just be for humanity, but that angelic beings, that heavenly hosts, that the Elohim of the Old Testament, spiritual beings will be held responsible for how they governed the people under their care. So as this man in the linen with the glowing lightning face says to Daniel, man, I have been battling the prince of Persia. And Michael came and helped me. That We don't go, what? That sounds incredible. No, we go back to the Torah. We go back to the Pentateuch. We go back to the earliest stories. And we say this is exactly what we were taught is that not only were people scattered, but that each of these people is given, um, is under the care of these spiritual beings. So there's a big heavenly battle raging all around Daniel. And you know, apocalyptic literature is an unveiling. It is a pulling the curtain back. And again, I'm not the kind of guy that has or will say that the devil made us do it. In fact, I don't think that's right. I'll come back to that later. But it is foolish for us to ignore not only apocalypse in the scriptures that would give us the impression that spiritual battle is real, present, and active, but to even ignore the words of the Apostle Paul, who reminded us over and over again that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the powers and principalities and forces of evil in heavenly places. And that's not Daniel 10 or Daniel 11. That's Ephesians 6. That's New Testament. That's Paul writing to the people of Ephesus. We pay attention to this stuff as Christians. This is our book. So, God is good, but there is spiritual opposition. 
It's one of the tensions that we have to live with. You know, again, we can live foolishly if we are constantly worried about the presence of evil in our lives. But we also live foolishly if we say, no, because of the cross, there's no battle going on anymore at all. Second, not only is God good, but there's opposition, but also for a a proper biblical understanding of what Daniel is being shown here, we would have to understand that what we do is both impacted by and impacts the battle in the heavenly places. While chapter 10 gives us a picture of this battle that rages in the heavens, chapter 11 is going to, in great detail, give us the story of the battle raging on earth. And in a way that we are, the curtain is pulled back enough for us to see this is true. I don't believe that the curtain is pulled back enough for us to be able to connect every dot to how these realms impact each other. But it would be foolish of us to not take seriously the call to be people who are engaged in spiritual battle. And we think, oh, to be engaged in spiritual battle means praying against the devil. Okay. But what if being in spiritual battle meant obedience? What if being in spiritual battle meant saying no to sin? What if being in spiritual battle meant loving your enemy, praying for those who persecute you? What if that was not just like touchy-feely New Testament stuff that said, but what if that really was the front lines of spiritual battle? Daniel is not commended for his great and wonderful works. Rather, Daniel is commended for his humility, for his wisdom. You and I might remember Daniel's life, his character, and say, you know, one of the things that we're going to have to take away is not only the reality of this, the battle going on in spiritual places, but the fact that our obedience, our Christian living has impact in that battle. Some things are true. There are forces of evil in heavenly places that influence and impact material things matter that, that matter in our world. Paul said that is actually, you remember, where our true battle is. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. I've said this before, but if I was going to write, if I was going to ask you to write down, give me the the 10 battles that you're in right now, I bet there are names attached to those battles. It's that person, it's that movement, it's this ideology, but there are people behind every one of those. Maybe your name shows up on that list. (laughs) Five of my top 10 battles are Grant, I promise. But Paul said that's not where our true battle lies. Another thing that is true that we can rest in is that God is greater than all of those forces of evil. I stand by that. It is not a fair fight between God and the forces of evil. Jesus over and over said, three days I'm rising again. Three days I'm rising again. Three days I'm rising again. He died and three days later he rose again. That's not a fair fight. That's a good old-fashioned behind-the-barn butt-kicking. That is absolute victory. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
The testimony of all scriptures that despite our rebellion, we're not stranded by evil. But that God is the Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Savior. It's testified by Daniel in times of the fiery furnace, in the safety of the lion's den, and eventually in the return of the people of Israel from exile. And it is testified for all time by the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. So we have to not balance these things. Some of these things we're going to hold in tension, but some of these things we're just meditating on. We're just seeing what the world really is like. There really are forces of evil in heavenly places. That really is the, the big problem in the world. It's not who wins the next time we vote. No, it's spiritual force in the heavenly places. And God really is greater. The victory really is sure. The tomb really is empty. And the third truth is that we have free will. See, the problem with spiritual battle is not that the devil made you do it. It's that you wanted to. The problem is not that the spiritual forces of evil are raging and I didn't have options. No, that's not true at all. Rather, when we see the greatness and glory of God and we also see the terrifying reality that Satan is real and is, so are his followers, we are not presented with something that we go, man, I hope Jesus wins in my life. Rather, there is set before you a choice. Life and death. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of man. One of the parables that illustrates this best is the parable of the, the unforgiving steward. Do you remember this parable? So there's a guy that owes billion dollars to a rich man. And the rich man says, you're never going to pay this off. I forgive the debt. And that same man who was just forgiven, there was another man that owed him a much smaller sum of money. And he went to that man who owed him a much smaller sum of money and said, you're going to prison until you pay me every cent. Now, see, the problem with that guy is on one hand, he wanted to live in the kingdom of forgiveness and grace. He was very happy to live in a world where God's goodness and God's salvation and God's forgiveness uh, defined his life. But then when it came to his fellow man, he wanted scorekeeping. When it came to his fellow man, he wanted fair. When it came to his fellow man, he wanted everything he was due. And how that story ends is the rich man saying, you did what? And casting him away into prison. Surely you will be in prison until you pay every last cent. And then Jesus says, that's the way it, was, it will be for those who are not saved. They will be cast away for eternity. Now, the problem was not that the power of greed conquered that man. The problem was that that man was given a choice. I can treat other people the way God has treated me. Or I can allow God to forgive and save me. But I can hold everybody responsible for every sin against me. You can't have both. This is spiritual battle. 
The spiritual battle that Daniel won, the reason the curtain is pulled back and Daniel gets to see all of this stuff, the, 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 the stuff Daniel has learned is not that, man, we're really hoping God wins. God has won. Are you willing to not only be the receiver of God's grace and victory, but are you willing for God's grace and victory to go out from you as well? Jesus is the Savior. And He saved us by His sacrifice. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Are you willing to lay down your time, energy, and pride for sinners as well? This is what Daniel gets to see. There's also this second kind of big theme that we've been tracking through Daniel is the reality and success of human evil. This follows after the first, but the first half of chapter 11 um, turns our attention back to the physical realm. So Daniel has seen the, the behind the scenes, and then he's seen a future, definitely future to him, where he gets to see what this will look like on the world stage. And once again, it's a story we've heard before about Greece and Persia in battle, the struggle for power in the Mediterranean region, probably between the years, call it 550 and 150 BC, and the details are so specific. There's not names, there's only like he and they and this king and that king and this valley and a valley and a mountain and that kind of stuff. That's how it reads, but it is so specific that people read this and they think this couldn't possibly have been written before the second century because it lines up so well with battles that happened between Greece and Persia and Egypt. Largely, this is the story of evil kings and battle for power. And you're not going to believe this. This will sound unfamiliar compared to our world. But the tools that these power-hungry men use are war and flattery and taxes. It's true. It's in the Bible. We're told the story of the king of the north versus the king of the south. South referencing Egypt and North referencing Greece. And we get a blow-by-blow -blow account and it's full of intrigue and political marriages and looting parties and bloody war and traitorous men and empire building as the battle leaves the mainland and goes out to the islands out in the Mediterranean. And then there arises a contemptible man. You know why every generation thinks that they've found the Antichrist? Because there's just no shortage of contemptible men. In every generation you go, I think I've heard of a guy who's super power hungry and everybody likes and I can't figure out why. That must be the guy. It's a story of kings whose hearts are bent on doing evil. And the death of an evil king in the battlefield between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea. It reads like, you know, the next HBO limited series. But I, don't, I wouldn't watch it. I don't have a stomach for this anymore. I'm, I'm old and stuff like this makes me sad. I wouldn't watch this on HBO if it was on. It's too, too bloody, too evil. And of course, there's much discussion about regarding when these words belong. 
Are these only for Daniel's time or are these some for his and some for ours or maybe a time much later? And great minds have disagreed as they always do on that since the time of our early church fathers. I think Jerome and Origen disagreed about when, when this uh, stuff was going to take place. Something Daniel's vision, just to give you a, a, a small glimpse, something Daniel's vision switches to things future to us around 1121. If you still have a Bible open, the paragraph break might be at, at 1120, but, but they say maybe all of this was for Daniel's time, and then it switches around 2021. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute, somebody who takes a lot of taxes. Uh, for the glory of the kingdom, but within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given, and he shall come without warning and obtain the kingdom. And some say, oh, that looks like something that hasn't quite happened yet. Maybe that's for a time future. Some would put a breaking point in verse 36. Some think that this contemptible person might be the first introduction of the person that we call the Antichrist. Maybe this is where the Antichrist is first introduced um, in the Scriptures. Although the term Antichrist doesn't appear until the writings of John, some of our latest New Testament writings. So that makes me go a little bit easy on saying that's what's happening here in Daniel. I don't know that I have the horsepower to speak with any confidence on when the second half of these passages rightly should play out in the past, in the future, or like I said last week, that in a manifold vision and wisdom and intelligence of God, that we are seeing things that, that are typical of every age. But I think that this passage speaks with that kind of historical precision, and I take seriously the idea that Jesus said it was not for us to know the time or the hour, that even he in his earthly ministry did not know the time of the hour that he would return, that these things would take place. So let's pause on that and think about this third big theme that we've been tracking. And that is simply, and we, you know, this, this hurts my feelings to think about, but we need to track all the way through Daniel, we have been tracking all the way through Daniel, the big idea of the temporary nature of earthly kingdoms and the eternal nature of the kingdom of God. Again, this vision drives home the point that was first made all the way back in chapter 2 with the statue of gold and silver and bronze, that all earthly kingdoms are temporary, that Daniel's earthly kingdom was temporary. And you know, when I look back, I go, this isn't even that hard to understand. Of course Babylon was temporary. Of course Persia was temporary. Of course we all talk about, we all know the rise and fall of Greece and the rise and fall of Rome. But what if I was up here, I do not have a fresh word about anything, but what if I was here saying, I know when there will no longer be an American empire. That America is a temporary thing. That there will be a time when we are read about in the history books the same way we read about Rome. We might, at that point, we might go, <gasps> well, that doesn't feel right. Well, that's how Daniel felt hearing that his time was temporary. But man, it is valuable 
to think about the temporary, fleeting nature of our world compared to the eternal nature of the kingdom of God. Because whether or not America goes on for another thousand years or another hundred years, I only have like 30 or 50 more years in it. And that's not very much time to think about my engagement in the spiritual battle that rages around me and what my legacy will be and what I want to hand my children. Will I gain as much power in this world as I can or will I seek first the kingdom of God because that's the eternal thing. If I want to leave a legacy for my kids, will it be about getting the most money and property? That's fine. But not at the expense of a rich devotion to Christ. Will I do what I can to serve the prominent and powerful people in this world? Or will I devote my time and energy to the kingdom of God? Will I desire power? Or will I serve the least of these, the poor. It is valuable for us to think about the fleeting nature of earthly kingdoms, including my own, and the eternal nature of the kingdom of God. So here for the last time in the book of Daniel, Daniel gets a glimpse of that. And those are things that we've been tracking for a while, and if I could just spend a few minutes focusing on three more passages, and I won't take long, but in the middle of this very beautiful and confusing war of the king of the north and the king of the south, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, there are interspersed in these chapters three short passages that answer, for my money, a much more important question, and that is, how should we live? Because maybe you have a friend that knows for sure that we're in the end times right now. And maybe they're right. Or maybe you have a friend that thinks that the Lord will tarry for another thousand years. And maybe they're right. But either way, you got to go to work tomorrow and decide how you treat people. you got to wake up tomorrow and decide where is their hope. And you got to be a part of a family and an office and and clubs, and you got to take your kids to soccer, and you got to do all this stuff and decide what kind of man, what kind of woman do you want to be? We already read one of these passages. Daniel 10, 10 through 12 says this, And behold, the hand touched me, set me trembling on my hands and knees, and said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken his word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, listen up, guys, fear not. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understanding and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Man, the first bit of instruction is fear not. Why? How? In the middle of the turmoil that Daniel is engaged in, of of just hearing stories of like, 
like whoever this person is with a face glowing like lightning couldn't get here for three weeks? Needed somebody else to come fight the prince of Persia with it? Who the heck is the prince of Are we in imminent danger? But when he gets spoken to, what he's told is, fear not. There is room for action in this world for, by Christians. There is no room for action driven by fear. And then Daniel's told why, how he can accomplish living a life without fear. First of all, because he is greatly loved. And the love of God expels fear. You know, could Daniel prove that he is loved? Isn't that maybe the point of the first half, all those great Old Testament Bible stories in Daniel? Daniel, do you remember the lion's den? You're loved. Daniel, do you remember your buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? Daniel, have I, has there ever been a time when I wasn't with you, Daniel? Daniel, you remember, Daniel's an old man at this point. Daniel, do you remember back when you were a teenager and you got all fired up and you're like, I won't eat the food from the king's table. And do you remember how you were strong at the end of that? And I was with you. Daniel, you are greatly loved. Fear not. The reason our mission statement around here starts with be loved is if you don't understand the love of God, who cares how you act? Like, hey, God is going to send you to hell if you're not good. That's never going to work. Like guilt-based Christian, like who needs that? No, rather, you are loved. Do you know you are loved? I bet you have a story, but can you look at the empty tomb? Can you read John 3.16? Say, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Do you know that no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him? Do you know that you've been drawn by the Holy Spirit to relationship with him? Do you know that you are loved? Fear not. Jesus, Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples, goes, don't even fear people that can, all they can do is destroy your body. You think I can't handle that? You are eternally safe. Fear not. Daniel had the stories of the covenant. Israel his own personal story. We have the cross and all of Daniel's stories too. You know, it's my favorite thing to say, but you know how much you love something by what you're willing to give up for it. You know, I love you guys a lot. I mean that. I love you guys a lot. But if a bad guy comes in, I'm going to make sure Tiffany and the Combs kids are safe. You know what I mean? That's just, that's just the way it is. I dearly love him. God so loved you that he sent his one and only son. You are loved. You can tell how much you are loved by what somebody gives up to love you. And Jesus laid down his life. You want to know about spiritual battle? That is all you need to know. Now there's set before you a choice. Love him back or love yourself.
Daniel is told, Daniel, from the moment you set your heart on understanding, hey, Lighthouse, what is your heart set on? Daniel has set his heart on understanding, and God has responded. We're told in the New Testament that it's those who continually are seeking, are, are, are knocking. Those are the ones that are doing the finding. Those are the ones that the door is open to. Are you seeking the Lord day in and day out? Or are you hoping to just keep digging your fleshy hole like, and then that God will just rescue you time and time again? What is your heart set on? Daniel's told, when you set your heart on understanding and humbled yourself before God. Daniel has been humbled before God. This speaks to his attitude. Not only has he been continually approaching God for understanding, but he's done so humbly. I've said this many times, but your doubt is welcome before God. Your pain, your questions, they're all welcome before God, but your pride is not. You've got to lay it down. Why did Daniel get to see? What was special about Daniel? He was humble and he sought understanding. He knew he was loved and he humbled himself before God. This is spiritual battle. If you think you are praying in the morning and then standing up and being mean to everybody all day long and saying you're a spiritual battler, no, you're not or you're working for the wrong side. Humble, seeking God. And then there's effective prayer. You know, we think of effective prayer being getting what we want. If I'm an effective prayer, it should mean that my team wins and nobody in my family gets sick and whatever. But this gives us a picture of what effective prayer is. Daniel is told, your words have been heard and I've come because of your words. Isn't that amazing? We think of prayer like the way God answers prayer as saying yes or no, but that's so mechanical. And as the curtain is pulled back for Daniel, he sees that his prayers have triggered actual activity in the heavenly places. God is not a genie in a bottle. God is a warrior, a general fighting for you. Effective prayer is not getting our way a lot. Effective prayer is joining in the fight alongside God. It's two more quick passages. Look at 10:19. 10:19 says, "And he said, O man greatly loved." There it is again. Greatly loved and fear not, going with each other. Fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Once again, greatly loved and fear not go together. But then what is added is peace, shalom, completeness, being okay. Guys, this is how spiritual battle works. I know that there are bad things going on in the world. I know that politics are a mess. I know that your job is hard. I know that your friend group is a wreck. I know there are family things. But God is so good, you can have peace right here. Daniel, right here in Babylon, as I'm telling you stories about kings of the north and south, be at peace now. Shalom. And then he says, be strong and have good courage. That's actually the same Hebrew word twice. Hazak, hazak. 
Say it with me. Hazak, hazak. I love that. Be strong and of good courage. Sounds good, but you know what's better? Dude, God is good. Hazak, hazak. You know what I mean? You know what I mean. Strength is not just physical might. It's the ability to stand firm with integrity. It's the ability to endure persecution. It's the ability to be obedient to God, to love your fellow man, to forgive, to love people even when they're unlovable. Hazak, hazak. There you go. Not a lot of amens around here, but I like hazak, hazak. <laughs> you know, don't you? It's so hard to walk with the Lord. Man, it's like there's temptation everywhere. And humility is so tough. Everybody around me is just so full of pride. I'm tempted to do it too. And, and yeah, don't call me greedy. I'm trying to put food on the table and I want to leave my kids something. And man, dude, hazak, hazak. You are loved. You can be at peace right here. Be strong. Be courageous. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is standing firm in the middle of fear. That's what I tell little kids when they're afraid of baseballs. <laughs> yes, so one of them is going to hit you. It happens all the time. Yes, it will hurt. Hazak, hazak. <laughs> Just one more because it's fun. Daniel 12 starts with, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been uh, since uh, there was a nation till that time, but at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Earlier in chapter 10, uh, there was reference to the book of truth. Some people say this is reference to the book of life. I'm happy to let the Bible just say what it says. There's a book and there's people's names written in it. Do you want yours to be? And many of those who sleep in the dust were not that great at poetry anymore. That means they died. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like bright uh, like the brightness of the, of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel is left with this future reality for each of us. The people who have died will be raised to eternal life or eternal death. Daniel needs not just peace, not just strength, not just hazak, hazak, but he needs a missionary zeal. And I think that as we talk about end time stuff, we can get so good at arguing our point, we just miss that there's lost people. You want to be a part of spiritual battle? Love somebody in Jesus' name. Wise people are going to be the ones who've turned many to righteousness. You don't turn people to righteousness by forcing them to act like Christians. You turn people to righteousness by inviting them into a life of love and joy and peace in the name of Jesus. Our friends, our neighbors, 
They could live lives where they don't murder, they don't curse, they don't do any bad things, and still be raised to destruction. Like part of what we're supposed to have as we see the curtain pulled back in Daniel over and over again, we are supposed to have a missionary zeal for our friends and neighbors. And it really irritates me that so many times what it fills us with is anger for people who think differently than us. I'll say it better here in a minute. So where does the book of Daniel leave us? Hazak, hazak. Be of good cheer. We know some things that are coming forward, but we don't have times and dates. You might have to live a full hundred years with strength, with courage, with peace. How could you possibly do that? Oh, because you are greatly loved. And because you have a warrior God who has conquered death. So would you, with strength and courage and peace and joy, Get in the spiritual fight. Get in the spiritual fight by turning your back on sin and instead turning your face towards Christ. Get in the spiritual fight by showing somebody what forgiveness looks like. Get in the spiritual fight by loving your enemy. Huzzah, huzzah. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for strength. Thank you for peace. Thank you for courage. Lord, as we go through these times where, gosh, we recognize all this stuff. We recognize wars and we recognize evil leaders and we recognize sorrow and destruction. And Lord, would you come quickly? And Lord, until you come, would you give us the strength to live victoriously in your name? forgiving, loving, humble, wise, full of courage and strength. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.